welcome to the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. I'm David Lorimer, co-editor of a new book, Spiritual Awakenings, Scientists and Academics Describe Their Experiences. It's published by the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences and is available in paperback and Kindle editions. In this series of weekly podcasts, we'll be sharing the 57 original essays together with introductions and epilogue from my co-editor, Professor Marjorie Willicott. We hope you enjoy them. How did I reawaken to the natural inclusion of the intangible within the tangible by Alan Rayner? Towards the end of 1998, when I was 48 years old, I began a return journey. Up until then, my life had taken me along a course that became devoted to the study of fungi and their relationships with other life forms and habitats, especially trees and woodlands. This study was made, however, within the context of a scientific and academic culture from which I felt increasingly alienated and that nibbled away at my confidence. Feeling very far from home, I abandoned ship in mid-ocean. I took six months sick leave and considered a career change. In the end, I persisted as an academic for a further 11 years at the University of Bath. During these years, both my research and my teaching changed radically, and by no means with the approval of my peers. Something had happened within me that made me want to re-soul science, and in the process, re-soul myself. Within two years of breakdown, I had become explicitly aware in a visionary moment of what I now call natural inclusion by way of distinction from abstract selection. I embarked on a new voyage of discovery or rediscovery, which, as it turned out, took me even further from mainstream thought. But this voyage also brought me much closer to home and what I feel I've always known since early childhood, but suppressed in a vain effort to conform with societal expectations. When I was around eight years old, having recently made the trip with my family back home to London, where I was born and lived my earliest years in Nairobi, Kenya, I contracted measles, the first of many childhood illnesses that confined me to bed and disrupted my schooling. My father sat beside my bedside and read stories to me about the planets and outer space infecting me with his love of scientific exploration. I was given books to read about natural history, and I learned to identify the garden birds alighting in the tree that grew outside my bedroom window. I was taken on my first fungus foray to a place called Burnham Beaches, west of London. I was awestruck by what I many years later described as the fountains of the forest, as they erupted from ground and rotting wood in manifold shapes and colours, not least the legendary fly agaric, Amanita muscaria, the parasol, Macrolepriota prosera, and numerous brittlegills, species of Russula. 
Over following years, I became familiar with more and more of the British flora, fauna and fungi, filling my head with thousands of Latin names and associated mental images, not only of the organisms themselves, but also of the habitats in which they flourished and the ground shaping processes, processes that formed them. I loved the companionship of others on natural history walks and fungus forays and the thrill of new finds and sharing knowledge. I met the love of my life, Marion, on a fungus foray at Oxford in 1969. The same year I began my university studies in natural sciences, specialising in botany and eventually doing PhD research in fungal ecology at King's College, Cambridge. However, there was a problem. To study biology as a science was not the same as expressing or experiencing life in the wild in the caring companionship of others. If anything, it was wildlife's antithesis, a competition to be first or best while following strict codes of practice designed to eliminate subjective human error and conform to an unquestionable norm prescribed by prior authority. This kind of biology, I discovered, was obsessed with technicalities, reproducibility, quantitative data, and removing variables, as well as a Darwinian view of evolution as purposeless competition between selfish genetic survival machines. To me, it felt soulless and unforgiving and made no sense in sharp contrast to my own empathy for the organism and associated fascination with qualitative patterns, processes and relationships in nature. And I felt increasingly unnerved by inconsistencies between my own findings and experience and those described by others in what was supposed to be an objectively predictable and technically standardised field of study. I began to lose trust in both myself and my peers. Eventually, I made a farewell gesture by presenting a painting of the fountains of the forest to the British Mycological Society. Here is how I described its imagery. A tree is a solar-powered fountain. Its sprays supplied through wood-lined conduits and sealed in by bark until their final outburst in leaves. Within and upon its branching, enfolding water-containing surfaces and reaching out from there into air and soil are branching, enfolding, water-containing surfaces of finer scale, the mycelial networks of fungi, which provide a communications interface for energy transfer from neighbor to neighbor, from living to dead, and from dead to living. Since childhood, painting had been a source of respite for me as a way to express my feelings for the natural world and as an antidote to the rigidity of scientific objectivism. Now I began painting again in earnest, and not only painting, but writing verse, sometimes alongside or as an inspiration for a painting. And with that move and some prompting from friends, my awareness of natural inclusion came back to me. Although I did not initially realize it, all my paintings made since 1969 represent a shift from the abstract perception of space, time and material boundaries as sources 
of definitive separation between independent objects to recognizing them instead as mutually inclusive sources of natural continuity and dynamic distinction. Correspondingly, the simple process of moving paint around in response to the inviting presence of a blank canvas for me expresses the mutually inclusive relationship between intangible receptive spatial influence and energetic current in all tangible material forms. It was this recognition of naturally inclusive relationship between tangible and intangible occurrences that resonated so strongly in the cavity of my heart and made such sense of my feeling for qualitative pattern, process and relationship. And with that bringing of intangible occurrence to center stage, my scientific understanding was transformed from one that shuns to one that includes art and spirituality. I could now appreciate that life evolves in response to receptive invitation, not selective exclusion. We are called to evolve, not forced. Life is a gift of natural energy flow, which we receive with grace, care for protectively and pass on, not a competitive struggle for existence in a sealed box. We breathe life, we don't suffocate it. What a relief. The immediate effect of my reawakening was a shift to a very different mode of academic activity. From the point of view of my department, I became research inactive, no longer receiving any grant income or publishing in respectable books and journals, and instead writing many online essays and articles in fringe journals. To compensate, I was required to take on a heavy teaching commitment. This included a truly innovative transdisciplinary final year course entitled Life, Environment and People, which I managed to keep going for 11 years, despite much disapproval from colleagues and examiners, until the stress finally became too much and I retired in 2011. In retirement, I've continued to do all I can to bring natural inclusion to wider attention, publishing numerous essays and papers, as well as two significant books, Nature Scope and The Origin of Life Patterns in the Natural Inclusion of Space in Flux. Thanks so much for downloading the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. Do join us for the next episode. <laughs>